invite you to pray with me if you would as we prepare to worship through the study of God's word. Father, we come on this cold and snowy spring day, and yet what a beautiful snow it is, and we appreciate your power, your creativity. I pray that we would let your word wash over our souls, that you would speak to each of us in a way that you know we need to hear. I pray that even the things that come out of my mouth, that you would correct, change, and order them in a way that each of us hears what we need to hear. And we pray that you would work your will to transform us by your Spirit's power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When our son Tyler was about eight or ten years old, I didn't go back and look at the exact dates, but we were visiting my folks down in Arizona, and we were, my dad took us to Hohokam Field, which is a place in Mesa, Arizona. It's like February or March of that year. And this is the place where we were able to see the Chicago Cubs and the Arizona Diamondbacks play one of their spring, spring ball games. Because that's what Major League Baseball teams do, is they send their teams to what they call the Cactus League, which they go down to the southwest United States, and they play their, their spring ball. They go to spring training. They get training. I was driving north on 141, just north of Grimes the other day, and I saw the golf course there. I don't really know. I can't remember. I don't really know the name of the golf course, but there's a golf course there. And I saw this lineup of students out there hitting balls off of the tee. Spring training. You see, the Major League Baseball teams and the golf teams and everybody else, they, they do this spring routine where they work on the basics in order to achieve their goal. Now, in your Major League Baseball, you're working on your hitting and your throwing and your batting so that you can win the pennant and maybe go to the World Series. If you're a high school golf team member, maybe you're just working on your driving, putting, and chipping so you can make the team. Or maybe you want to make the state tournament. It doesn't matter. You're working on the basics. And in, in, in the church of Jesus Christ, it's no less important for us to work on the basics, to come back to the fundamentals, to come back to the stuff we know. No Major League Baseball player is like clues as to how to hit a ball. No Major League Baseball player is clueless as to how to throw a ball. But they need to be repeated. It's interesting that this translates not just to athletics, but music as well. I mean, I know that some of the greatest musicians in the world, they'd say, we must practice and practice and practice. I was privileged to hear a man, Sam Rotman, he went to the Juilliard School of Music in New York City and graduated from there. He taught himself how to play the piano with a cardboard keyboard. He was an immigrant, a Jewish immigrant from Cuba and Mexico and into the United States as a boy and went to the Juilliard School of Music. And he 
was a, a, a concert pianist, and he said, you know, you practice, you practice. If you skip practice one day, no big deal. You skip practice two days, well, you know the difference. If you skip practice for three days, then he said, well, everybody knows the difference. And I don't know if he said that, but one other musician I heard say that. And the point is that we need to keep back to the basics. So I'm going to share with you this morning some basics of the Christian faith because at Creekside Church, our goal, we want to work on the basics so we can achieve our goal. Our goal is to glorify God. If you walked into the sanctuary this morning, above the door, you see this phrase, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we have identified as our goal. Now, you know, you can disagree with that if you want, but it's, it's a pretty good goal. But basically, God wants us to glorify himself. And in order to do that, we have to, to work on these basics so that we're distinguished. I mean, this is what gets us amped up. This is what should get us out of bed in the morning. This is what should move us. It's what distinguishes us from the Rotary Club, from the Kiwanis, from the Lions Club, or you fill it in, from the Country Club. You can join those clubs and do some good stuff or have fun. But in the Church of Jesus Christ, and particularly at Creekside Church, we want to commit ourselves to leading people to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ, reproducing disciples, in order to do that, there's a lot of places we could go in the Scripture, but I chose this morning to go to a passage of Scripture where Jesus answers a test question. He's been given this, this test question in Matthew chapter 22, and the question is this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Which all of the uppity-up scribes and Pharisees and all the big-shot religious people used to debate this question. How could you summarize the entire Old Testament law, 638 jots and tittles of the law, and how could you distill it down into one most important thing? Well, Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. He gave them two, okay? So, but these two critical fundamentals that God lays out for us are, are the things that individually and corporately as a church that we should come back to in our spring training. It's a little bit hard to think about when it's still snowing outside, but it is spring training. And we're doing this little spring training message just in preparation for a series that we're going to launch next week on some different characters in the Bible and look at their lives in relationship to their uh, relationship to God and how we can be challenged and motivated and encouraged to move on in our walk with God. So these are the two things that Jesus lays out for his disciples to work on in their basic training. I'm going to read the text, and they're found in Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 34 and reading down through verse 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. Interesting how the Sadducees and Pharisees, they thought that they were going to one-up. So the, the, the Pharisees heard that the Sadducees, he'd, he'd kind of put them to shame in their question to Jesus. And so now he's going to try to show up, they're going to try to show up the the, the Sadducees, and so one of them asked him a question, verse 36, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus makes it clear. I mean, 
here's, here's the outline for the sermon. It's really complicated. Love God, love your neighbor. Okay? Love God, love your neighbor. Our love for God. Our first, our first priority is to love God. And now Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The Hebrew Shema, the Hebrew word for Shema means here. So if you read Hebrews or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, you know Hebrew already. He says in the, in the Shema, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Okay, so that's what he quoted to them. But isn't it interesting that they quoted it two times a day, devout, devout Hebrews. But did they really commit themselves to it? So we're going to be going over some, some ground that's familiar for those of you who grew up in the church. The challenge for me this week is like, do I really do this stuff? I know this stuff in my head. But do I really do it? Do I really put it into practice? Is it really part of who I am on a consistent basis? Rick Warren says, uh, he's the guy that the Saddleback Church in California, 40 Days of Purpose. Some of you are familiar with him. Some of you aren't, but he's a pastor. He said this. He says, every morning you get up out of bed, and this is not a direct quote because I'm going to just say it, but it's something like this. He says, and I say, God, if I don't get anything else done today, help me to love you more and know you better. love God. I would say uh, love you better and know you more. Uh, I want to know God more. But it doesn't matter. Is that what's part of our heart? So worship God is to recognize his worth and his worthiness in everything we do. His worth and his uh, and his, his worth and his worth and work in everything we do. His worthiness. In all that we do. Uh, there's three things I see in the text that I want to bring out for you. First of all, uh, that our, our love is personal. Notice if you look at verse 37, and he said, You shall love the Lord your God. You as an individual, you as a church body, you should love the Lord your God. It's not something someone else can do for me. It's not something someone else transmits to me. My father, bless his heart, I love him. He, he loves liver and onions, bratwurst, and oyster stew. I can't stand any of them. It didn't transmit genetically to me, okay? I have big hands. That came from my father. You cannot transmit love for God. It is something that each of us personally must individually own. It's something we must do. It's an individual choice of reverence and willful obedience to a loving and gracious Father. That's a choice. And this love for God is only possible. It's only possible. My love for God is only possible through receiving His love for me. Only as we individually accept and respond personally to God's love for us in giving his son Jesus can we actually respond in love to him. The ancient Jewish people 
were chosen by God, Deuteronomy chapter 7, okay? And this is, for you are a people, a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be the people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. Now, they were part of the covenant people, but only as they personally, individually accepted his love for them by faith were they actually experiencing God's love personally. In a general way, they were part of his people, but only personally as they accepted his love by faith. We know this because in, Deuter or in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, how was Abraham declared righteous? Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Fast forward into the New Testament in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, how are we declared righteous? But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. It's only as we are made righteous through the blood of Christ and our acceptance of that sacrifice for us that we are in experiencing or receiving God's love. Then we can express our love to God and love him back. We must understand that we're messed up. I had the blessed privilege of sharing this yesterday with uh, with, with a couple of people that, you know, I say, it's kind of ironic, you know, I say, blessed privilege of sharing, you're messed up. And I'm messed up, okay? I'm sorry, that sounds a little bit, but, but I didn't stop there. We are, we're messed up people. We're sinful people, and we deserve God's wrath. But God loved us so much. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Why? Because he died in our place so that if we would turn from our sin and trust and turn to him, we'd be forgiven and have new life and the promise of life now that continues on for eternity. That's the blessed hope. And we must individually, personally accept that in order for us to experience God's love so that we can express our love to God. That's what it is. So our love is personal. Our love is perpetual. It says, you shall love the Lord your God. Well, it doesn't mean a one and done. It means an ongoing thing, in an ongoing way to express our, our love to God. It's not just a, a one and done thing. Love for God is a commitment that characterizes the life of a believer. Thirdly, our love is passionate. It's not just personal. It's not just perpetual, but it's, it's passionate. You shall love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, the, the point is not how many parts does a person have. The point is with the totality of our being, we're to love God with all of who we are. It's our conscious, sincere, and ongoing commitment to love him. It's sold out for, for God, sold out for Jesus. That's what a fanatic is. It's just somebody who loves Jesus more than, than I do. That's what a fanatic is. Verse 38, he says this. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. You want the greatest commandment in the law? Here it is. Love God with the entirety of your being, with all of who you are. Top priority. God's after our heart. We just finished up a series in 1 John. It's no accident that John concluded his book with this. Guard your heart from idols. Why? 
Because an idol detracts us away from the number one priority that we should have in our spring training and all of our life, which is to love God with all of our heart. An idol is a rival to God. Rivals God in our heart. Something we set up against God as more important. Or there's something that's going to provide us with the satisfaction that only God can provide us. It can be our possessions. It can be our power. It can be our position. It can be our pleasure. It can be the praise of men. Interesting this week as I'm uh, working through this, this text and thinking about stuff and realizing just how much the praise of men is important to me. That it shouldn't be that important. Some of us, maybe it's possessions that are a little bit more important. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's privilege. Maybe it's our looks. Maybe it's our children. He says, don't set them up to be more important. There was a, a gentleman that I knew, went into his basement one time, invited me in, went down his basement. He had cakes display case after display case after display case filled with toy tractors. And that was cool to me because I have a few of my own. But I left there kind of empty. And I thought, does he own them or do they own him? Let me say it again. Does he own them or do they own him? Are they too important to him? Is that stuff too important to us? Spring training brings us back. Love God with all your heart to the reality that in the world, the flesh, and the devil, there is this constant barrage and temptation to draw our attention away from worshiping God with all of who we are. Every commercial on TV, every commercial on the radio, every store we go into, every voice we hear is often, not every, but all, a lot of them are bombarding us with this temptation to turn us away from our single-hearted devotion to the Lord and to God. And spring training brings us back because the enemy wants to squeeze us out. So I'm going to give you a, the, the, a pathway and a portrait of some of the things that will facilitate this worship for God. Okay, as a priority. What should we be doing? What does it look like? Well, I don't have all of the answers, but from Scripture, here are a few suggestions. First of all, that we would magnify God intentionally. Like Psalm 34. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. That's what we do here, right? I mean, I can worship God privately, but that's part of the corporate experience is to come, and I don't know about you, but I've been blessed so far in the service, just with the, the singing and, the, and the, the praise, just because it stirs in my heart. First service, I was blessed to hear other people sharing passages of Scripture that I needed to hear to get my heart right. What a friend we have in Jesus. I can go to him in prayer, which I hadn't been doing as much as I should have been with certain things. So this is the thing. Magnify God intentionally. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says that God made himself known to us in the former times through the prophets. And in these last days, he's made himself known to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So here's what we do. Magnify God intentionally. That's kind of nebulous. Well, how do we do that? One suggestion here, focus on the Word of God. 
I don't know about you, but when I have turned to the Word and when other people bring me to the Word, it takes me my attention to God. In the Scriptures, in Psalm 19, uh, verses uh, 7 through 14, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. It's the word of God that points me to the God of the word and helps me magnify him and not myself. Focus on his work. Focus on his word. Focus on his work. What is his work? Well, I'm just going to give you one passage. You can read it later if you want. Psalm 103, beginning with verse 8 and going down through verse 13 for sure. But actually, you should begin with verse 1 of Psalm 103 because in there is this, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord for all his benefits. He has pardoned all my iniquities. He's redeemed my life from the pit. He's blessed my life with good things. And he goes on and on. And he says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And he goes on. I'm not going to quote the rest of it because you can read it later. But here's the point. What is his work? His primary work is in forgiveness. His primary work is in our redemption, which is seen ultimately in the work of Jesus. When I focus on the fact that I don't deserve the salvation that God has provided through his son Jesus, you know, in that Psalm 103 passage, he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards us. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. He does not hold our iniquities against us. I've been made aware of the extent of my, well, not the full extent, but some more of the extent of my iniquities this last week, just in my life and my interactions with people and the way that I'm failing to love as I should love and give and care and be gentle and compassionate. And it's like, whew, thank you, Lord, for your work. That You have redeemed me. And I'm not perfect, but you're working. So I focus on his word, focus on his work, focus on his worth. His worth. But think of uh, Isaiah chapter 66 and verses 1 and 2. In Isaiah, uh, God is saying, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where, where is a place that you would build for me and where is a, a place that I should dwell? Says, for my hands made all these things and by my hands all these things came into being. He's saying, look, heaven is my throne room. And the earth, that's where I put my feet. So you want to build a house for me? That's kind of stupid. Because where are you going to do that? I made everything. That's the God we serve. But then he says this at the end, verse 2. But to this one will I look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit. And who trembles at my word. 
To this one will I look. I made it all. You want to get my attention, God says? Humble and contrite of spirit. And you tremble at my word. That's, that's his worth. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I may not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ may now, even as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What's he saying? It's not about me. This is Christ would be exalted. Whether I live or whether I die, my goal and my prayer is, is that Christ would be exalted. That, to me, now that's just one way I'm turning this focus on the worth of God. I could take you to Isaiah 40. We could read through all the attributes of God and His magnificence. And they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And it, it tells about the magnificence of God. But to me, it's like I think about I want to magnify his worth, then I better realize my worthlessness in comparison to God. And that's what humility is, just an accurate understanding of who God is and who I am in light of who God is. So here it is, and then, so I think about this, uh, uh, you know, when magnifying his worth. I was listening to radio, and Toby Mac has this song uh, uh, when the title of it is, uh, one of the phrases, go on and steal my show. Okay, go on and steal my show. But think about the words. Go on and steal, it's, it's to, talking about letting God have first place in, in the, the show that, so that God would be center stage in my show. Really? Well, yeah, I, I'm willing to let God take over my show. Uh, how about that God takes over his show. And that it, now again, I'm not trying to critique, overly critique the theology of Toby Mac. I'm just saying, isn't it subtle how our sinfulness can penetrate and you could read it that way. And so it's like, no. I have this couple that I know in, uh, in a third world country. And, uh, he has, a, I think, a master's degree. She's got a master's degree in nursing, and they serve faithfully in the armpit of the world. And they do not make anywhere near what they could be making if they would leave that country. It's not about them. They're, they're worshiping God by magnifying His worth in their lives. So we should magnify God intentionally we should obey God willingly and we did first John chapter 5 verse 3 for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome that's the problem sometimes the commands for me that the commands of God become burdensome oh I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself I'm supposed to uh, give and be uh, uh, really uh, that that sometimes is a little difficult. Willingly. John 14, 15. And Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. Uh, if you, oh, that's verse 21, sorry. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And here's the, the thing that I, I want to share with you on this. is True love for God is not always doing what is right, but loving what is right. 
True love for God is not always doing what is right, because we make mistakes, right? But it's loving what is right. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 9. Uh, cling to that which is good and abhor that which is evil. Abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. Sometimes I tolerate what is evil instead of abhorring it. And that's what it means to love God, is to, to love Him, obey Him willingly. I'm going to skip Romans chapter 7, but you can look at verse 24. Paul was struggling with this. You know, it's, it's a desire to be righteous, even when you don't want to be righteous. To express joy when I'm feeling sad. To be encouraging when I'm wanting to be encouraged. To speak a word of blessing when I'd really rather speak some criticism. It's obeying God willingly. It's seeking God earnestly. The psalmist said in Psalm 63, 1, Oh God, you are my God. I seek you earnestly. And my soul thirsts for you and my flesh yearns for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And You know, I mean, I can't gin that up. I mean, I can't just like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't really want to see God. Uh, but I can ask God to give me a heart that wants to know him more and love him better and work and seek to serve him in that. Then number four, trust God greatly. You know Proverbs 3, many of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. How many times this past week were you trusting in yourself and not God? Yowza. For me, it's like, oh, multiple times every day. It's like, well, I can't do this. Well, duh, you can't do that because you can't do that. You need God. We all need God, every, every day individually. And you know what? There's some people in our, in, our, in our beloved congregation that are dealing with some stuff. Now, every one of us is dealing with stuff, but some of them are in real stuff. You know, what does it mean to trust God in that? Greatly to trust God in that. I have a friend of mine, I just talked to him the other day on the phone. He's getting ready to go back to the Middle East to serve in a, uh, in a doing ministry over there. He's from the United States. He's, in, he's older than me. He's like 10 years older than me. And he says, you know, just pray for me. He says, I, I've got, uh, I think I got something when I was over there. I've just, the last time I've been, he says, I got some stomach issues. It's really, it's really tough. Would you go? Oh, no. I mean, well, no, I'm going to stay home and, you know, eat food that I know and sleep in my own bed and do what's comfy and what, what makes good sense to me. He's going to go. And he's going to trust God. And whatever happens. You know, I think of, of Rod and Norb, and they'd never been to Haiti. And, like, how many excuses could you think of, guys? I mean, there's like a bazillion, right? And it's like, and the closer you got, the more excuses you could think of. But you go. Because you love God. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to give? Are we willing to carve out a little time for God? I mean, that's, trust God. I tell people, you know, well, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. Then you're too busy. God calls us to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind. And then to praise God regardless. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. 
Though the fig tree do not blossom, fields produce no food, though the uh, yield of the olive should fail, and the and there's faulty, and though the cattle be cut off from the, uh, from the stalls and there be no sheep in the fold, nothing, 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 no fruit on the vine, no grain in the fields, no fruit, no cattle, no sheep, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He has made my feet like hinds feet. He has caused me to walk on my high places. That's a God thing. To, to trust Him and to revere Him and to praise Him regardless. And then to give generously. A couple weeks ago when I walked in here and we were doing an Easter egg hunt, man, my heart was thrilled. I mean, we had so many people who had given so much time and effort and we had eggs coming out our ears, you know, and we had candy and we still got eggs and candy, you know, because... The people of Creekside Church got it. And they all got on board and we were working together. And praise God, it was a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. It was worship. It was love for God. And then God calls us not just to love him, but to love our neighbors. Quoting Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor. Four things I want to point out about this, four priorities, four considerations that help us work on this fundamental. You know, it's like you're, you're fielding grounders. Well, you got to get your legs, you got to get your base down, and then you got to get the glove down, and then you got to watch the ball into the glove. There's a few things. Just go field the grounder. You know, it's hit to you, just field it. No, you got to get in front of it, you got to get your base down, get your glove down, get the ball in front of it, and watch the ball into the glove. Why do people don't? Why did the ball not go into their glove? Because they go. Because they're looking out somewhere else. So here's the basics. Love our neighbor. What's our, it should be our priority. Verse 39. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Unrivaled love for him. Unquestioned love for our fellow man. Now we've talked a lot in 1 John about our love for our brothers. Here. This is for others, okay? These are sometimes our enemies, and sometimes they're just our neighbors, literally. But as yourself, he says. We all love ourselves. It's interesting. You want to talk to somebody? You want to strike up a conversation? Just ask them about their family. Ask them about their job. Ask them about, you know, themselves. Tell me about your life. Then wait, you know. We love talking about ourselves. Most, most of us say, well, no, I really like talking about myself. That's a lie. You do. Love your neighbor as yourself. I, I'm sorry. I think it's probably not a full truth, okay? I think most of you probably would like to talk about yourself. And by God's grace, we like to talk about other people. But he says, we should love our neighbor. What, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm needy. So, so is my neighbor. So I love them like I love myself. What's our perspective? Interestingly enough, the Pharisees knew but did not do what this verse says. And I find myself a Pharisee here. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But do I love my neighbor as myself? 
I mean, they knew the law, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Their deficiency reflects a common deficiency among human beings, and that is we're self-absorbed so that we fail to see the needs of other people. We become self-focused individually and corporately. Think Creekside Church. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we get a little bit self-absorbed. My prayer is that we don't become a holy huddle. To the point, now, there's good, I'm all for clicks. Listen to what I say fully. Because clicks are good if they help us grow and mature and build our body in Christ. But when we come together as a body of believers, no clicks. Be a click somewhere else. When you come to church, love the body. And in part of the body, we need to find ways to get outside of our click. Okay? And, and love the people outside. That's what God calls us to. This unbiblical self-absorption must be intentionally countered. It's our default. I'm not a real big computer geek, but I know this. You have default settings. I have a default setting for my printer. And if uh, that always goes to that printer, it always goes to that printer. Even if that printer is not active, it's just going to go to that printer. Well, our default setting is to be self-absorbed. And so we must continually practice spring training. Because I'll tell you what, folks. I played golf enough to know that if I don't keep my eye on the ball, I don't hit the ball. Okay? If we don't keep coming back to loving our neighbor, we're going to miss it. I don't care how much we know about God. I don't care how much we know about the Bible. If we don't do what the Bible says, then it really doesn't matter. That doesn't mature us in Christ. It doesn't help us lead people to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ because we don't have one. Because we can't be in a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ without loving our neighbor. Genuine worship leads to good works. And good works leads to deeper worship. As I serve God by ministering to other people, guess what? I get to know God better. This is John 14, 21. You can write it down. You can read it later, okay? But, uh, okay, it's on the, on the screen. You can read it now. But obedience reflects our love and brings deeper realization of God's love for us. So God's calling us, I think, as a church, individually, individuals, and corporately, to increasingly reflect our experience with God as we express it in love for other people. That's what I think God's calling. And uh, then we'll enjoy His love better. I'm going to skip Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I'm just going to say, In verse 5, he says, Conduct yourself with wisdom towards those who are outside, making the most of every opportunity. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards those who are outside, making the most of every opportunity. You see, someone else put this together. I didn't put this together. But doing good works builds goodwill, which enables us to share good news. Doing good works builds goodwill, which enables us to share good news. If we want to lead people to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ, we want them to know Jesus. But sometimes in order to get them to know Jesus, we have to do good works to build goodwill so we can share the good news. Because it's really true. I think it was Theodore Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. So let's show them how much you care. Because we've been loved, let us love other people. 
and follow the example of Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus went about doing good works. He went about doing good works. And I find it fascinating study in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, that the, the, the prophet is told to tell the people who are now in Babylon, in a foreign land, exported, exiled into Babylon, here's what he tells them, and seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in it, its welfare, you will have welfare. Do we pray for our city? Do we seek the welfare of central Iowa? The, the cities, the communities in which we live. That's what God called Jeremiah and asked the people of Israel to pray for them. Why? Because in their welfare is our welfare. So it's not just self-serving because we also want them to know uh, the Christ that we serve. God gives us compassion to, to grow in our love for people. Now what's our practice? You know, I'm really excited about a lot of the ways that God is using the folks at Creekside. When I came here, I started meeting with ministry leaders. What's going on? What are you doing? What are you, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. How many people know that there's a preschool associated with this church? Okay. How many of you ever been over there? Okay, a few of you. Do you know that we have this great opportunity and people, young people and their parents are coming into this building every day during the week, during the school year. I think that's a great ministry. Two times a week, there's an ESL class, English as a second language class, taught in, in this building. One night a week, there's a, a re Celebrate Recovery class that's taught in this building. You know, I think it's Alcoholics Anonymous. We did the Easter egg hunt. I mean, that was cool. Uh, Marge McKeever used to operate Camp Vera to teach immigrants, children, and others who didn't know how to swim how to swim. And then there was kind of a day school VBS thing that went along with it. That's, that's a great ministry. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be raising, or uh, hopefully you're going to be bringing boatloads of food in here and uh, diapers and stuff so we can take down to the Urbandale Food Pantry. That's a great ministry, way to share our love for the community and our, our care for the people in the community. That's, way, that's what we're doing, and I'm excited about that. But what should be our pursuit? In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Paul tells Timothy, be zealous for good works. I was uh, working at our house here a while back in one of the coldest days of the winter. Not today. It was one of the coldest days of the winter. The, the, the bike trail was covered with snow, and there was a guy... I saw, well, I think it was a guy. It was a person, okay? They had so many clothes on, I couldn't tell exactly, but I think it was a guy. And he had this big, wide-tired bike all bundled up, riding down the trail. Now, that guy is maybe certifiably crazy, but he is zealous, okay? I have a, I have a, a guy that I know. He uh, teaches drumline in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and around he is, he is a, a, a cycling nut. He, his goal, he wants to ride the Iditarod. You know, they have a bike ride on the Iditarod Trail. He wants to ride the, 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 another trail that is the highest, it rides along the Continental Divide. 
He went out one time a couple of winters ago. It was like 10 degrees above zero, and the wind was blowing about 15, 20 miles an hour out of the north. He rode for an hour into the wind. Certifiably, I mean, not me. I mean, give me 70 and uh, whatever, you know, then, and then, then we'll go. Zealous. I'm thinking, what juices me up? What amps you up for Jesus? I mean, could we be zealous for good works? Could we be anywhere near excited about doing things for Jesus? I'm thinking, could we prayerfully engage our literal neighbors? Start there. You have people that live next to you. Could we pray for them on a regular basis that God would open up doors of opportunity that we would have a chance to share? Could we intentionally, deliberately orchestrate and organize activities to get to know them and to spend time with them? What about the preschool? I mean, that's a vast, untapped resource, in my opinion, of of being able to demonstrate our love for the staff over there, for the parents, for the students. Could we adopt one one of the schools and, and invest in their staff and their administrators and their teachers and bless them and find ways that we can bless them. In a few weeks, actually about a month, we're going to have an opportunity to uh, do a, a booth at the Karen Acres Elementary up here off, off of Douglas. And so we need, we need some people for that. We need some money for that. If you would want to give some money, we had to buy a booth or buy a spot for a booth. They're doing a, a fundraiser. I know they're doing one at Olmstead Elementary, and we, I'm just learning these things, but we're participating in the Karen Acres one. I'm thinking, why could, would anybody here get juiced up about teaching uh, people who don't know English English? You know, as a second language? As an opportunity to share Jesus with them? Build a relationship with them? I mean, I... I traveled for 14, 15 years to Europe to do that, <laughs> you know, because that's where the, the non-native speakers were. How many different languages do we have spoken in Des Moines? I mean, it's like they're, they're here. Why couldn't we teach them and use the Bible? There's an idea. They want to learn how to read? Isn't it interesting that that's how our, oh, I'm getting way off. All the Ivy League schools were started as Bible colleges. Why? To teach people how to read the Bible. Because they wanted the people to know how to read the Bible. I think, you know, Marge would love to have some people step up to the plate and help her with Camp Vera. And, and maybe I've talked to Bar- Marge about maybe doing a VBS at the same time, you know, kind of coordinate the two instead of trying to do two different things. If you're in- interested in that, get a hold of Marge or talk to Megan at the church office. We'd love to have your help just to see an opportunity to, to minister to people. I think we have this 4th of July thing, right? I, I've never been here on 4th of July, sorry, but uh, the, we have a big yard. And we have the best view of the Urbandale fireworks, from what I've heard, a really good view of the Urbandale fireworks. So why couldn't we take our private party and go public? Why couldn't we get some inflatables? Why couldn't we get some yard games? And why couldn't we have a grill, some grills out there flipping burgers and brats and hot dogs, which I won't eat, but other people love them. And some beans and some potato salad and some coleslaw and whatever else you want to bring and, and, and have some uh, music playing and just have a party for the neighbors and not charge them. Say, so just come in and have fun and watch the fireworks because we want to build you up. 
Uh, just an idea. I mean, you know, that's, that's it. I said, most fundamental golf lesson, my dad watched the ball. Golf is easy. Just watch the ball. You take your eye off the ball, bad things happen. You keep your eye on the ball, well, it takes a little coordination too, but uh, most, fun, most fundamental lesson on spring training for believers is love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourself. And then in verse 40, he says, this is the summary of all the scripture. Summarize it all. How will you exercise and commit to loving God? How will you, how will I commit to loving my neighbor? Spring training. Go home, sit down, write at least one thing down, what I'm going to do as as an active thing. And interesting that as we pursue our horizontal relationship with God, our vertical relationship with others uh, becomes more loving as well. And one of the things that we do at Creekside Church that I think is a, a marvelous exercise in the fundamentals that keeps us focused on the worth of God and the work of God is to celebrate communion. Because when we do it, when we take the bread, which symbolizes his body broken, and we take the cup, which symbolizes his blood shed for us, guess what? We magnify God. And we mark his greatest work in redeeming a lost people undeserving of his salvation. We celebrate his mercy in providing a way for fallen and wretched people to come into a right relationship with him. And it motivates us to love our neighbors because we want them to share in the same joy of knowing the Jesus that we know. And so if you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to join us in partaking of the elements of communion. And if you are doing that, I'd invite you to search your heart and just get it right before God, before you come up to take the elements. And that's our practice. You'll come up and take the elements and then go back to your seat and stand and continue to join in singing with us. But you're welcome if you know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, give us grace uh, to love you more and to know you better that we might honor you and exalt you and magnify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Father's arms.